Volume 2, Chapter 18 of The Heidenmauer, or The Benedictines, A Legend of the Rhine, by James Fedimore Cooper. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Joel Kendrick. The Heidenmauer, by James Fedimore Cooper, Volume 2, Chapter 18. Tis over, and her lovely cheek is now on her hard pillow. Rogers. On the following morning, the Count of Hartenberg took horse at an early hour. His train, however, showed that the journey was to be short, but Monsieur Latouche, who mounted in company, wore the attire and furniture of a traveller. It was in truth the moment when Emic, having used this quasi-churchman for his own ends, was about to dismiss him, with as much courtesy and grace as the circumstances seemed to require. Perhaps no picture of the different faces presented by a church that had so long enjoyed an undisputed monopoly in Christendom, and which, as a consequence, betrayed so strong a tendency to abuses, would have been complete without some notice of such characters as the Knight of the Cross and the Abbe. And it was, moreover, our duty as faithful chroniclers to speak of things as they existed, although the accessories might not have a very capital connection with the interest of the principal subject. But here our slight relations with the Abbe are to cease altogether, his host having treated him as many politic rulers treat others of his profession purely as the instrument of his own views. Albrecht de Weiderbach was prepared to accompany his boon associate far as Mannheim, but with the intention to return, the unsettled state of his order, and his consanguinity with the Count, rendering such a course both expedient and agreeable. Young Burkhold, too, was in the saddle, his lord having, by a special favor, commanded the forester to keep at his crupper. The cavalcade ambled slowly down the Jägerthal, the Count courteously endeavoring to show the departing abbé by a species of misty logic that appears to be the poetical atmosphere of diplomacy that he was fully justified by circumstances for effecting all that had been done, and the latter acquiescing as readily in his conclusions as if he did not feel that he had been an egregious dupe. "'Thou wilt see this matter rightly represented among thy friends, Master Latouche,' concluded the Baron." should there be question of it at the court of thy francis whom may heaven quickly restore to his longing people the right valiant and loyal prince and gentleman i will take upon myself high-born and ingenuous emic to see thee fully justified whenever there shall be discussion of thy great warfare and exquisite policy at the court of france nay by the mass should our jurists or our statesmen take upon themselves to prove to the world that thy house hath been wrong in this immortal enterprise I pledge thee my faith to answer their reasons both logically and politically to their eternal shame and confusion. As Monsieur Latouche uttered this promise with an unequivocal sneer, he thought himself fully avenged for the silly part he had been made to act in the Count's intrigues. At a later day he often told the tale, always concluding with a recital of this bold and ironical allusion to the petty history of the Jägerthal, which not only he but a certain portion of his listeners seemed to think gave him altogether the best of the affair. Satisfied with his success, the abbé pricked on to repeat it to the knight who laughed in his sleeve at his friend while he most extolled his wit the two riding ahead in a manner to leave emic an occasion to speak in confidence with his forester hast treated of this affair with heinrich as i bid thee boy demanded the count in a manner between authority and affection that he was much accustomed to use with burkhold i have my lord count and write pressingly as my heart urged but with little hope of benefit how doth the silly burgher still count upon his marks after what hath passed didst tell him of the interest i take in the marriage and of my intent to name thee to higher duties in my villages none of these favours were forgotten or aught else that a keen desire could suggest or a willing memory recall what answer had the burgher 
Burkhold colored, hesitating to reply. It was only when Eam externally repeated the question that the truth was exhorted from him, for not but truth would one so loyal consent to use. He said, Herr Count, that if it was your pleasure to name a husband for his child, it should also be your pleasure to see that he was not a beggar. I do but give the words of Herr Frey, for which liberty I beg my lord to hold me free of all disrespect. The niggardly miser! These hounds of Durkheim shall be made to know their master. But be of cheer, boy, our tears and pilgrimages shall not be wasted, and thou shalt soon wive with a fairer and better as becometh him I love. Nay, Herr Emich, I do beseech and implore. Ha! Yon is the driveling Heinrich seated on a rock of this ravine, like a vedette watching the marauders. Prick forward, Burkhold, and desire my noble friends to tarry at the town hall, making their compliments. As for thee, thou mayest humor thy folly and greet the smiling face of pretty Meta the while. The forester dashed ahead like an arrow, while the count reined his own courser aside, turning into that ravine by which the path led to the Heidenmauer when the ascent was made from the side of the valley. Emic was soon at the burgomaster's side, having thrown his bridle to a servitor that followed. "'How is this, Brother Heinrich?' he cried, displeasure disappearing in habitual policy and well-practiced management. "'Art still bent on exorcism, or hast neglected some offices in Yester's pilgrimage?' Praised be St. Benedict or Brother Luther, for I know not fairly to which the merit is most due. Our Durkheim is in thrice happy disposition as touching all witchcraft and devilry, or even churchly miracles. This mystery of the hounds being so happily settled, the public mind seemeth to have taken a sudden change, and from sweating in broad daylight at the nestling of a mouse, or the hop of a cricket, our crones are ready to set demonology and Lucifer himself at defiance. The lucky clearing up of that difficulty will, in sooth, do much to favor the late Saxon opinions, and may go near to set the monk of Wittenberg firmly upon his feet in our country. Thou seest, Heinrich, that a dilemma so unriddled is worth a library of musty Latin maxims. That is it, Harry Mick, and the more especially as we are a reasoning town. Our minds once fairly enlightened, it is no easy matter to throw them into the shade again. It was seen how sorely the best of us were troubled with a couple of vagrant dogs so lately as yesterday, and now I much question if the whole of the gallant pack would so much as raise a doubt. We have had a lucky escape, Lord Count, for another day of uncertainty would have gone nigh to set up Limburg Church again, and that without the masonry of the devil. There is not so potent in an argument as a little apprehension of losses or of plagues thrown into the scale. Wisdom weighs light against profit or fear. It is well as it is, though Limburg roof will never again cover Limburg wall, friend Heinrich, while anemic rules in Hartenburg and Durkheim. The Count saw the cloud on the Burgomaster's brow as he uttered the latter word, and slapping him familiarly on a shoulder, he added so quickly as to prevent reflection. But how now, Herr Frey, why art at watch in this solitary ravine? Heinrich was flattered by the noble's condescension, and not displeased to have a listener to his tale. First looking about him to see that no one could overhear their discourse, he answered on a lower key in the manner in which communications that needs confidence are usually made. You know, Herr Emich, this weakness of Ulrich concerning hermitages and monks, altars and saints' days, with all those other practices of which we may now reasonably expect to be quit, since late rumors speak marvels of Luther's success. Well, the good woman would have a wish to come upon the Heidenmauer this morning, and as there had been some warm argument between us, and the poor wife had wept much concerning marrying our child with young Burkhold, a measure out of all prudence and reason, 
as you must see, nobly born Count, I was fain, willing to escort her thus far, that she might give vent to her sorrow in godly discourse with the hermit. And Ulrich is above, in the cedars, with the anchorite? As sure as I am, here waiting her return, Lord Count. Thou art a gallant husband, Master Frey. Wert want of old to resort much with the Herr Odo von Ritterstein, he who playeth this masquerade of penitence and seclusion. Sapperment! I never could endure the arrogant. But Ulrich fancieth he hath qualities that are not so evil, and a woman's taste, like a child's humors, is easiest altered by giving it scope. Emic laid both hands on the shoulders of his companion, looking him full and earnestly in the face. The glances that were exchanged in this attitude were pregnant with meaning. That of the Count expressed the distrust, the contempt, and the wonder of a man of loose life, while that of the Burgomaster, by appearing to reflect the character of the woman who had so long been his wife, expressed volumes in her favor. No language could have said more for Ulrich's principles and purity than the simple, hearty, and unalterable confidence of the man who necessarily had so many opportunities of knowing her. Neither spoke until the Count, releasing his grasp, walked slowly up the mountain, saying in a voice which proved how strongly he felt, I would thy consort had been noble, Heinrich. Nay, my good lord, answered the burgomaster, the wish were scarcely kind to a friend. In that case I could not have wived the frau. Tell me, good Heinrich, for I never heard the history of thy love. Wert thou and thy proposal well received, when first offered to the virgin heart of Herr Heiltzinger's daughter? The burgomaster was not displeased with an opportunity of alluding to a success that had made him the envy of his equals. The end must speak for the means, Herr Count. He answered, chuckling, Ulrich is none of your free and froward spirits to jump out of a window, or to meet a youth more than half-way, but such encouragement as becometh made in diffidence was not wanting, or mine own ill opinion of myself might have kept me a bachelor to this hour. Emic chafed to hear such language coming from one he so little respected, and applied to one he had really loved. The effort to swallow his spleen produced a short silence, of which we shall avail ourselves to transfer the scene to the hut of the hermit, where there was an interview that proved decisive of the future fortunes of several of the characters of our tale. The day which succeeded the restoration of Burkhold had been one of general joy and felicitation in Durkheim. There was an end to the doubts of the timid and superstitious concerning an especial and an angry visitation from heaven as a merited punishment for overturning the altars of the abbey, and few were so destitute of good feeling not to sympathize in the happiness of those who had so bitterly mourned the fancied death of the forester. As is usual in cases of violent transitions, the reaction helped to lessen the influence of the monks, and even those most inclined to doubt were now encouraged to hope that the religious change, which was so fast gaining ground, might not produce all the horrors that had been dreaded. Heinrich has revealed the nature of the discussion that took place between himself and his wife. The latter had endeavored in vain to seize the favorable moment to work upon the feelings of the burgomaster in the interest of the lovers, but, though sincerely glad that a youth who had shown such mettle and danger was not the victim of his courage, Heinrich was not of a temperament to let any admiration of generous deeds affect the settled policy of a whole life. It was at the close of this useless and painful conference that the mother suddenly demanded permission of her husband to visit the hermit, who had been left, as before the recent events, in undisturbed possession of the dreaded Heidenmauer. Any other than a man constituted like Heinrich might at such a moment have heard this request with distrust, 
but strong in his opinion of himself and accustomed to confide in his wife, the obstinate burgomaster hailed the application as a means of relieving him from a discussion in which, while he scarce knew how plausibly to defend his opinion, he was resolutely determined not to yield. The manner in which he volunteered to accompany his wife, and in which he remained patiently awaiting her return, and the commencement of his dialogue with Emic are known. With this short explanation, we shall shift the scene to the hut of the anchorite. Odo of Ritterstein was pale with loss of blood from the wounds received from a fragment of the falling roof, but paler still by the force of that inward fire which consumed him. The features of his fair and gentle companion were not bright, as usual, though not could rob Ulrich of that winning beauty, which owed so much of its charm to expression. Both appeared agitated with what had already passed between them, and perhaps still more by those feelings which each had struggled to conceal. Thou hast indeed had many moving passages in thy life, Odo, said the gentle Ulrich, who was seemingly listening to some recital from the other's lips, and this last miraculous escape from death is among the most wonderful. That I should have perished beneath the roof of Limburg on the anniversary of my crime, and with the fall of those altars I violated, would have been so just a manifestation of heaven's displeasure, Ulrich, that even now I am scarce believe I am permitted to live. Thou then thought in common with others that I had been released from this life of woe? Thou lookest with an unthankful eye at what thou hast of hope and favor, or thou wouldst not use a term so ungrateful in speaking of thy sorrows. Remember, Odo, that our joys in this being are tainted with mortality, and that thy unhappiness does not surpass that of thousands who still struggle with their duties. This is the difference between the unquiet ocean and tranquil waters, between the oak and the reed. The current of thy calm existence may be ruffled by the casual interruption of some trifling obstacle, but the gentle surface soon subsides, leaving the element limpid and without stain. Thy course is that of the flowing and pure springs, while mine is the torrent's mad and turbulent leaps. Thou hast indeed well said, Ulrich. God did not form us for each other. Whatever nature may have done towards suiting our dispositions and desires, Odo, providence and the world's usages have interposed to defeat. The hermit gazed at the mild speaker with eyes so fixed and dazzling that she bowed her own look to the earth. No, he murmured rapidly. Heaven and earth have different destinies, the lion and the lamb different instincts. Nay, I will none of this disreputable depreciation of thyself, poor Odo. That thou hast been erring, we shall not deny, for who is without reproach? But that thou meritest these harsh epithets, none but thyself would venture to affirm. I have met with many enigmas, Ulrich, in an eventful and busy life. I have seen those who worked both good and evil, encountered those who have defeated their own ends by their own wayward means. But never have I known one so devoted to the right that seems so disposed to extenuate the sinner's faults. Then hast thou never met the true lover of God or known a Christian? It matters not, Odo, whether we admit of this or that form of faith. The fruit of the right tree is charity and self-abasement, and these teach us to think humbly of ourselves and kindly of others. Thou began early to practice these golden rules, or surely thou never wouldst have forgotten thine own excellence, or have been ready to sacrifice it to the heedless impulses of one so reckless as him to whom thou wast betrothed. The eye of Ulrich grew brighter, but it was merely because a tinge of color diffused itself on her features. I know not for what good purpose, Herr von Ritterstein, she said, that these illusions are now made. 
you know that I have come to make a last effort to secure the peace of Meta. Burkhold spoke to me of your intention to reward the service he did. I have now to say that if in aught the gentle youth favor, the moment when it, though not acceptable, hath come for Lakchen beauty, which owes stricken to bear up long against expression. The hermit was reproved. He turned slowly to one of his receptacles of the worldly stores and drew forth a packet. The rattling told his companion that it was of parchment, and she waited the result with curious interest. I will scarce say, Ulrich, he replied, that this deed is the price of a life that is scarce worth the gift. Early in my acquaintance with young Burkhold and Meta, I wrung their secret from them, and from that moment it hath been my greatest pleasure to devise means to secure the happiness of one so dear to thee. I found in the child the simple, ingenuous faith which was so admirable in the mother, and shall I say that reverence for the latter quickened the desire to serve her offspring. I certainly owe thee thanks, Herr von Ritterstein, for the constancy of this good opinion, returned Ulrich, showing sensibility. Thank me not, but rather deem the desire to serve thy child a tribute that repentant error gladly pays to virtue. Thou knowest that I am the last of my race, and there remained not but to endow some religious house, to let my estate and gold pass to the feudal prince, or to do this. I could not have thought it easy to effect this change in opposition to the elector's interests. Those have been looked to. A present fine has smoothed the way, and these parchments contain all that is necessary to install young Burkhold as my substitute and heir. Friend! Dear, generous friend! exclaimed the mother, moved to tears, for at that moment Ulrich saw nothing but the future happiness of her child assured, and Burkhold restored to more than his former hopes. Generous and noble Odo! The hermit arose and placed the parchment in her hand, in the manner of one long prepared to perform the act. And now, Ulrich, he said with a forced calm, the solemn and imperative duty done, there remaineth but the last leave-taking. Leave-taking? Thou wilt live with Meta and Burkhold. The castle of Ritterstein will be thy resting place after so much sorrow and suffering. This may not be my vow, my duties, Ulrich. I fear my prudence forbids. Thy prudence? Thou art no longer young, dear Odo. Privations thou hast hitherto despised will overload thy increasing years, and we shall not be happy with the knowledge that thou art suffering for the very conveniences which thine own liberality hath conferred on others habit hath taken nature's place and the hermitage and the camp are no longer strangers to me if thou wouldst secure not only my peace but my salvation ulrich let me depart i have already lingered too long near a scene which is filled with recollections that prove dread enemies to the penitent ulrich recoiled and her cheek blanched to the paleness every limb trembled for that quick sympathy which neither time nor duty had entirely extinguished silently admonished her of his meaning there was a fervor in his voice, too, that thrilled on her ear like tones which, spite of all her care, the truant imagination would sometimes recall. For in no subsequent condition of life can a woman entirely forget the long-cherished sounds with which true love first greets the maiden ear. Odo, said a voice so gentle that it caused the heart of the anchorite to beat, when dost thou think to depart? This day, this hour, this minute i believe yes thou art right to go ulrich god will keep thee in mind pray often for me farewell dear odo 
God bless thee, may he have mercy on me. There was then a short pause. The hermit approached and lifted his hands in the attitude of benediction. Twice he seemed about to clasp the unresisting Ulrich to his bosom, but her meek, tearful countenance repressed the act, and, muttering a prayer, he rushed from the hut. Left to herself, Ulrich sank on a stool and remained like an image of woe, tears flowing in streams down her cheeks. Some minutes elapsed before the wife of Heinrich Frey was aroused from her forgetfulness. Then the approach of footsteps told her that she was no longer alone. For the first time in her life, Ulrich endeavored to conceal her emotion with a sentiment of shame. But ere this could be effected, the Count and Heinrich entered. "'What hast done with poor Otto von Ritterstein, good Frau? That man of sin and sorrow?' demanded the latter in his hearty and suspecting manner. "'He has left us, Heinrich.' "'For his castle?' Well, the man hath had his share of sorrow, and ease may not yet come too late. The life of Odo, Lord Count, hath not been like our own histories of a nature to make him content. Had that affair of the host, though at the best, but an irreverent and unwarrantable act happened in these days, less might have been thought of it. And then, tapping his wife's cheek, to loose Ulrich's favor was no slight calamity of itself. But what have we here? "'Tis a deed by which the Herr von Ritterstein invests Burkhold with his worldly effects.' The burgomaster hastily unfolded the ample parchment. At a glance, though unable to comprehend the Latin of the instrument, his accustomed eyes saw that all the usual appliances were there. Turning suddenly to Emic, for he was not slow to comprehend the cause of the gift, he exclaimed, "'Here is manna in the wilderness!' Our differences are all happily settled, nobly born Count, and next, according to the hand of Mena, to the owner of the lands of Ritterstein. I hold it a pleasure to oblige an illustrious friend and patron. Henceforth, Herr Emic, let there not be but fair words between us. Since entering the hut, the Count had not spoken. His look had studied the tearful eyes and colorless cheeks of Ulrich, and he put his own constructions on the scene. Still he did the fair wife of the burgher justice, for, though less credulous than Heinrich on the subject of his consort's affections, he too well knew the spotless character of her mind, to change the opinion her virtue had extorted from him in early youth. He accepted the conditions of his friend, with as much apparent frankness as they were offered, and, after a few short explanations, the whole party left the Heidenmauer together. Our task is ended. On the following day Burkhold and Meadow were united. The castle and the town vied with each other, doing in honor to the nuptials, and Ulrich and Lokchen endeavored to forget their own permanent causes of sorrow in the happiness of their children. In due time, Burkhold took possession of his lands, removing with his bride and mother to the castle of Ritterstein, which he always affected to hold merely as the trustee of its absent owner. Gottlob was promoted in his service, and having succeeded in persuading Gisela to forget the gay cavalier who had frequented Hartenburg, these two wayward spirits settled down into a half-loving, half-wrangling couple for the rest of their lives. Durkheim, as is commonly the case with the secondary actors in most great changes, shared the fate of the frogs in the fable. It got rid of the Benedictines for a new master, and though the burgomaster and Dietrich, in afterlife, had many wise discourses concerning the nature of the revolution of Limburg, as the first affected to call the destruction of the abbey, he never could very clearly explain to the understanding of the latter the great principles of its merits. Still the smith was not the less an admirer of the count, and to this day his descendants show the figure of a marble cherub as a trophy brought away by their ancestor on that occasion. Bonifacius and his monks found shelter in other convents, each endeavoring to lessen the blow by such expedients as best suited his tastes and character. 
The pious Arnoff persevered to the end, and believing charity to be the fairest attribute of the Christian, he never ceased to pray for the enemies of the church, or to toil that they might have the benefit of his intercession. As for Otto von Ritterstein, the country was long moved by different tales of his fate. One rumor, and it had much currency, said he was serving in company with Albrecht of Weiderbach, who rejoined his brother knights, and that he died on the sands of Africa. But there is another tradition extant in the Jägerthal touching his end. It is said that thirty years later, after Heinrich and Emich of Leinigen and most of the other actors of this legend had been called to their great accounts, an aged wanderer came to the gate of Ritterstein demanding shelter for the night. He is reported to have been well received by Meta, her husband and son being then absent in the wars, and to have greatly interested his hostess by the histories he gave of customs and events in distant regions. Pleased with her guest, the Madame von Ritterstein, for Burkhold had purchased this appellation by his courage, urged him to rest himself another day within her walls. From communicating, the stranger began to inquire, and he so knew how to put his questions that he soon obtained the history of the family. Ulrich was the last he named, and the younger female inmates of the castle fancied that his manner changed as he listened to the account of the close of her life, and of her peaceful and pious end. The stranger departed that very day, nor would his visit probably have been remembered had not his body been shortly after found in the hut of the Heidenmauer, stiffened by death. Those who love to throw a coloring of romance over the affections are fond of believing that was the hermit who had found a secret satisfaction even at the close of so long a life in breathing his last on the spot where he had finally separated from the woman he had so long and fruitlessly loved. To this tradition, true or false, we attach no importance. Our object has been to show, by a rapidly traced picture of life, the reluctant manner in which the mind of man abandons old to receive new impressions, the inconsistencies between profession and practice, the error in confounding the good with the bad, in any sect or persuasion, the common, governing principles that control the selfish under every shade and degree of existence, and the high and immutable qualities of the good, the virtuous, and of the really noble. The End Volume 2, Chapter 18 Of the Heidenmauer, or The Benedictines, A Legend of the Rhine Recorded by Joel Kendrick JoelKendrick.com Los Angeles, California, 2020